Wow, what a day to worship the Lord together. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to go to there in just a moment. Um, I want to let you know right from the outset as we begin this new series that uh, this, the quality of our life is directly determined by the quality of our relationships. How many of you heard me today? That, 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 that the quality of your life and mine is directly determined by the, the, the quality of our relationships that God has given us in this lifetime. And I just want you, as we look at this uh, series starting today on this relational reset, if you've ever wanted in your life uh, for people to be more open and honest with you, this message is for you today, that God has a desire and he has a design imprinted upon our life for our relationships to go far deeper and stronger than they've ever been. We really believe that at Abundant Life Church. You're going to hear that as we talk about that through this series, that God is calling us to deeper relationships, deeper community with one another. And uh, I believe that we need a relational reset. So as you look in Genesis chapter 3, verses 11 through 13 today, we know this uh, portion of Scripture probably very well. Some of you can probably quote it by heart, but saying he, meaning God, said, and he said this to Adam, who told you that you were naked? I mean, we know this. Who told you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you to not eat of? And, and uh, the man said, it's not my fault. It's the woman. It's her fault. And the woman, you made her, and you put her here with me, and she's the one, and, and like gave me some fruit of the tree, and I ate it. And, and the Lord said to the woman, what are you doing? And the woman said, it's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. It's the devil. It's not my fault. How many of you heard that before? Not just even beyond Adam and Eve, right? You've heard that in your own life, or you've the ones that have spoken that. But this is the first part of our three-part series called Relational Reset. How many of you know that we need a relational reset? Come on, how many of you are with me? We need a relational reset beyond five people that just raise their hands. And then I'll tell you, you need a relational reset today, because not many of you are raising your hands, that you realize that we do need it. And this weekend, I want to talk to you about a huge advantage that you can give to yourself and to your relationships. And this, is van this advantage is what I call the full ownership policy. The full ownership policy, say that with me. The full ownership policy is this simply, all in. Can you say all in? All in, all in. You can't have the kind of relationship that God wants you to have and really wants you to have if you are only half in. We can't have the full benefit of awesome and meaningful relationships without the full benefit of the commitment and investment into relationships. Say, I am all in. I am all in. See, I see this with uh, relationships that people have with God as we kind of just jump in deep. They really want all that God has for them, but they want to live marginally. In their commitment to him, they want to live marginally. When I have time, it kind of comes in, right? All in, the full ownership policy starts with you and I being all in. See, if you want your relationship and your relationship that you have that God has given to you to be healthy, if you want them to be strong, one of the best things that you can do is what I'm talking about, and that is to have a full ownership policy for you personally. And this is how we are to approach life. This is how we're to approach everything in our life, that there would be a full ownership in our life. 
And what is that? Well, it's where you and I take personal responsibility and ownership for our relationships. You and I are taking full personal responsibility and ownership for our relationships that we have. Everybody here has a relationship, probably numerous of them. The scripture I want to read to you, uh, secondly, in, in, in just a moment, will, will come out of Genesis 50, but the scripture I just talked to you about in Adam and Eve, they were the first finger-pointing couple on the planet. Wow, amazing. They're the first finger-pointing. You know, they had this down. They were a finger-pointing couple. Matter of fact, they were the first couple on the earth, and they finger-pointed at one another, and they finger-pointed at the serpent, the devil. And we see this in them. They, they pointed their finger and talked about whose fault it really was. And so as you look at this, we see this. Getting it right in relationships is so important that you own your relationships. That you don't play the victim. You don't, you know, you, you, you don't give excuses for, for everything and why you do and don't do it. And, you know, and you think today, well, you don't even know me. How can I even do that? How can I be accountable for a relationship when the other person I'm dealing with are so difficult and super stubborn and really unreasonable and selfish, and you go ahead and elbow that person right now. No, no, don't do that, okay? How can you say that I'm responsible to own that relationship with a person like that? Wow. What I want to say back to you is that would be a typical response, for sure. We immediately react with trying to shirk the whole idea of full ownership based on them. It's her. It's him. They are the problem in my world. You understand that. You, you can't seem to understand that. But it's, it's about them. And so how about we re redefine that for today and do a relational reset and what we mean about the full ownership policy. See, ownership and owning your relationship means this. Not talking, I'm not talking about anybody else, but it says that you are accepting the responsibility for everything that you do and everything that you say and that you bring into the relationship. Everything. You know, everything. Not just, well, they said or they haven't done this and this is what they did to me. Uh, no, it's you and I owning everything of our portion in our life. You say, well, hey, that's got to be my response because you don't understand my reality. And yes, I'm not in your world and, and all of that, but what, what, wait, 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 wait. I want to say today, you and I are called to own our attitudes because it's your attitude and it's my attitude. So listen, if you have a bad attitude in your world, in your relationship, that's your bad attitude, not mine. If I have a bad attitude, it's my bad attitude in my life. It's not your responsibility for the things that I have done, said, or thought, right? And we need to understand that. You and I are the only ones that can change our attitudes. That's my attitude. Your feelings, your emotions, that's yours. My feelings and my emotions, those are mine. It's your perspective. You choose to see the things the way you choose to see it. That's yours. This is what I'm talking about in taking full responsibility, you know, many ways that this comes out is, is in people's body language. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on, you live in the real world, right? In your homes, in your world, in your workplace, on your campuses, and in meetings or whatever it may be. There are some people that are just so good at body language, or, or should we say they are just bad at it, okay? You, you know, you look at them, and they, they speak volumes, and they never say a word. Now I talked your language, didn't I? 
There are signals they get out, give out to you every single day. There are signals that come out of their cubicle, and you can read it. They're, they give you the stink eye over the cubicle. You know, they don't even have to say a word, right? They give it out. They give it out. They don't want to hear no more, no more, no more. I'm tired. Getting a meeting. The eye roll, right? Stay away. Give me a break kind of look. I'm talking about owning it. Owning your investment is being the best that you and I can be. You refuse to play the victim. And the victim mentality is the attitude of a person who tends to see themselves as a victim of circumstances as well as other people's choices when other people's behavior comes out and other people's actions. See, when it comes to relationships, here's what we got to understand about that, is that the victim mindset, I want you to understand that. I, I want you to get this before I even say it. Are you with me today? Say yes. Here's the victim mindset. It always gets in the way of taking responsibility for today because of something that happened yesterday. Victim. They have a victim mentality. They have a victim mindset. They have victim dialogue that continues to come out of their life and take them to where they are going. Like, you did this to me yesterday. That's why I am this way today. Ooh, the victim mindset. We're getting real about relationships. Are you okay with that today? If you're here today and you're single again, that means the other thing and that person didn't work out. And I, what I want to say to you today in that is just be careful because the human tendency is, is that, that you would take that bad relationship or, or the one that didn't work out and bring it along with you as you head into what you hope for to be in a better relationship. Like, because this is so vital and so important, because can I just kind of talk about this in the church realm? Because this, we're relational beings. We're created that way. We have a relational God, and this is a church. When people come, the many members that came in today, man, this is awesome. It's relational, and, and, and uh, even if you're not a member, we're still relational beings, right, in the, in the body of Christ. But these are some of the things we ask people that come from one church to another, is that, hey, man, if you're planning on coming over here and be a part of this church, we just want to know, was everything okay from the church that you came out of? Or why are you here? What, did, what happened? We don't need to go into all the details, but, but did you make it right with that former pastor or that former pastoral staff or somebody in the church on why you made your way over here? Because what happens is, is we bring us with us. Hello? Well, I'm expecting that church to be a better experience when you're the problem and you bring it in. Hello, are you with me today? Are you with me? That's vital. That's important. There are some churches, they don't even ask that. We'll just take anybody. No, we're not here to just take every warm body. We love everybody. But see, see, the issue comes down to is that every church has transfer growth, which you reshuffle the cards in the deck, that's called in pastoral terms. That's what happens. You're always going to get transfer people in, though we prefer people that are new believers in Christ first. I'm just going to put that out there, and I've never been ashamed to say that as the pastor of this church. But you've got to understand this is that you bring you with you. And that is the same way in your relationship, that you are carrying with you some things, and if it's not taken care of, you're going to bring that problem into the new relational situation. We have to know this. We, we've got to. You've got to understand this. So instead of trying to change people, let God change you. 
See, but if you keep on in your mindset and your heart and your lips that, that in, in this, the old dialogue of all that bad that took place and, and it's your fault and it's your problem and this is why I am the way I am today, let me tell you, you are never going to get what God wants to give you in the future. Not his very best. You've got to let God change you. You've got to be free from the victim thought, dialogue, conversation, so that God can bless you with a better relationship. But if you say, you aren't going to be doing that to me, what somebody did back to me over here. See, if you bring that into the relationship, which just happens many times, many times, especially in people coming together and getting married, amen, you're not going to do to me what I had done to me. You bring that dialogue with you. You bring thoughts with you and actions with you into the new relationship, right? And we have to be careful of this, that we let God change us to do something greater. And so we want to encourage you, don't play the victim card. And so this is, as you see this, and you see, we, we're going to look at some scripture today on how this happened, that, that I choose what I become with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ, which happens is you're acknowledging in your life that God is powerful and that God takes people with bad circumstances and he strengthens them and he helps them. The, to, you know, how many times have we in our relationship said, God, do something about them? <laughs> oh, I have. I have. Yeah, guilty as charged on that one. God, do something about them. And God says, no, wait, wait a minute. I want to do something, and it's inside of you first, John. Right? And the first thing I want to start with is like, hey, God, God's saying, I want to start with you. And you've heard me say this before, but listen, as God's people, we have the Holy Spirit that is active and alive in us. And you've heard me say this before. But listen, if I say and believe, and I do, have the Holy Spirit active and alive in me, then the Holy Spirit is talking to me more about me and my problems than he is about you and your problems. Are you with me, church? So many people, well, in the name of Christ, let me tell you something, boom, 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 and let me set you straight. No, the Holy Spirit deals with you first. That's a whole nother message, and I'm not preaching it right now. It's in those times that we realize and we become all that God wants to and allows him to change us, what we realize is that God is powerful then in us. He's powerful, and my future doesn't have to be at the mercy of my past, right? There's a great story in the Bible about a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament, and if you have your Bibles, go there with me to Genesis chapter 50. You've heard this story, but I love it because it's so real life. That here you have Joseph sold by his brothers into slavery. He grew up in Egypt completely separated from his homeland. His family, the father that he loved, he separated his brothers who took all that away from him out of envy and jealousy towards him. Years later, his brothers came looking for help, and God had promoted him and put him in a high position in the land of Egypt. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, let me show you what he said as his brother stood in front of him. He said this, as you meant evil against me, but God, I want you to get this, but God, but God, somebody didn't care about me, but God meant it for good. To bring about, well, wait a minute. It just just stopped there that God's good. He wants to do something, bring about. What is he bringing about? He's bringing about that many people would be kept alive as they are today. That Joseph got a relational reset when it looked impossible. What I'm trying to say is that if anybody 
had a reason to sing a sad song, if anybody had the right to play the victim, anybody had the right to say to people around him, is you don't know what happened to me, and the reason why I'm mad, and the reason why I'm angry in my world, and there's injustice that happened in my life that messed me completely up, it was Joseph. But Joseph made a decision that I will not play the victim, not talk like a victim, not think like one, but I'm leaving room for God to do something good and something great. And I hope you understand that as it comes through that story that Joseph overlooks something that you and I are called to overlook as well, and we need to overlook an offense. We need to begin to overlook offenses. And let me just tell you something right now, church. We are trending the wrong way in our nation. We are trending the wrong way. And I hope you see that as a believer. If you're a believer here, I hope you see that. If you're a non-believer, I'm sure you see it as well. But you see, we are trending the a wrong way in America, and that is we've gotten thin-skinned and hard-hearted. But change comes with thick skin and a soft heart, right? It is the only way that peace can truly come. There's a way for this to happen, right? And we, we, he said, I don't want you to have a heart of stone, God says. I want you to have a heart that is pliable of clay, that is soft. And in doing that, you will leave room for the possibilities of God to come and show up in your life and in your future. I'm not going to let my victim talk get in the way of all that God has planned for me. Because let me tell you something. When the victim talk comes in the way, it keeps you from God's very best. How does this play out? A husband and wife, I'm not sure why my spouse wants me to try this or do that or, you know, to be better or good or, or, or a good wife. But I, the reason why I act like this is I come from a dysfunctional family. And you got to understand that my life is messed up. And that's why I'm bringing this into this situation. You don't, you don't understand where I have been. And so this is why in my dysfunction, I'm bringing that. I bring that into our family. And the men in my family were abusive. And I don't trust men. This isn't saying that those things didn't happen. It's not condoning sinful behavior, anything like that. But, it, but it's played out every day in our heart and our mind if we allow it of what took place inside of us that I don't trust and I don't do and I won't love them. And uh, say that. Just stay there, if you will. You can position yourself and you'll never experience the best kind of relationships that God has for you. See, love has the ability to overlook the wrongs that others do. Love has the ability to look past the behavior of the pain in someone's life. The pain, the pain, the pain. Right? Love has the ability. I can look past that. Now, every one of us in this room that, that drive a car, that we, we know in, in our world that we take off in a car, and, you know, before you know it, someone's cutting you off and about takes your car out, you know, and, and wipes you out. And, and before you know it, you want to send them a happy greeting. Right, like peel the banana, you know, like here you go, man, you know, here, yeah, take that, right? See, we can play that, but it's not playing to the best that God has, right? A proverb says, Proverbs 12, 16, when a fool is annoyed, he quickly lets it be known. What's he saying? You stink up the room. That's a fool. A fool stinks up the room. When he doesn't like how something's going, he stinks it up. No, 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 no. Dysfunction, lies, but the wise person ignores the insult. Well, that's some practical wisdom right there. What was meant to harm me has made me stronger. 
Or people say, you know, I can't get a good job. Um, you know what? I, I went to a bad school. And matter of fact, I had bad teachers. All of them. All of them were bad. I just want you to know that, and that's why I quit. And so you can talk that way, and you can sentence your family into a victim mindset, and your children will grow up, grow up around that, and it will soon become a part of their dialogue. Or I can say, you know what? This is where I left my education off for whatever reason, and I got two good hands and two good feet, and I'm capable and I'm competent. I'm going to find a good job, and I'm going to support my family and me from here on out. Man, that's a great mindset, right? There's a story in John chapter 5, another story that you probably know well. It's the story of a crippled man who was lying by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. 38 years. I don't know about you, but that's a long time, right? I mean, the story, and so... How many of you know, you see inside of here, Jesus, because the scripture says Jesus came by the pool of Bethesda and saw the man laying there, and Jesus saw him, and saw him stretched out by the pool, and he knew how long he had been there. He knew how long he had been there and said, do you want to get well? Ever thought about that? That is an odd question. It seems kind of strange. Jesus was actually, though, getting to the heart of why he had been there for 38 years, and Jesus wanted to lay it out in front of him, and he basically centered it by saying, like, do you even want to get well? Or have you become so attached to your victimization that you have brought into this that you're not this way, but you want to be a different way. And, and what happens is you think, well, this is the best life that I have. And we play into it. And we, we play into it so much that we just want sympathy from other people. Do you want to get well? Because when you're living in a victim mindset, you become dependent upon that. It becomes your little story. It becomes the thing that you always bring up when really the victim mentality paralyzes everything and everyone else around you. We've all been in a meeting before, whatever it may be. You may be on campus, you may be with other friends, and they constantly talk about their victim mindset. They're, they're like, like, you know, this is why I did this, and they bring it out, and everybody's in the room kind of like, oh, how are we going to deal with that one? It's out there, right? The sick man said back to Jesus, sir, when the water's stirred, I don't even have anybody put me in the pool, and by the time I get there, everybody's already in. Three things come out of his mouth really quick. Like, the water's only stirred for a short season, meaning that healing is only available for a brief amount of time. Like, I try to get out, of there, get, out, get out there, but nobody will help me. Nobody help me get off the side of the pool and get in. And then when I try, there's somebody out in front of me all the time. Why didn't he say, hey, when Jesus said, do you want to get well, why didn't he just say, yes? Right? You have people in your world that give all the, these things in front of all the reason when you're just like, just say the word. Yes! That's what we wanted to hear. Yes! Yes! Why don't we get real? What you have to know is Jesus knew his story, and Jesus knows your story today. He knows how long some of you have been stretched out beside a situation, and you have a victim mindset, and you become thin-skinned about it. When God says, i got a greater plan for you than that, I've got a greater journey for you. And so, you know, if, if you've ever wanted to, now I look at this and I think, man, have you ever wanted to pick somebody up by the collar, be this guy, 38 years, stretched out by the side of the pool, pull him up by his collar and say, what is wrong with you? And then I quickly realize, 
that man is me. That I have many times wanted to stay and play the victim mindset. I've wanted to stay camped out beside my problem and my issue, and you don't get it, and you don't understand, and body, and this came up, and this, is, this was there long before we met, rather than just saying yes, that you realize the healer's in the house, and Jesus has come by your way, so stop playing the victim. The full ownership policy means you don't make excuses. You've heard this before. I don't know who said this, but I'll give credit if I find out. You can make progress or make excuses, but you can't do both. Everybody in this place today, you want something better in your life, and it's stop using your energy to play the victim and start using your words and energy to lift yourself and your relationship by stop making excuses. What we often do is we go off of the old same script all the time in our lives. The 38-year-old script, whenever God wants to do something new, he wants to know inside of you and inside of me, are we ready to go there? Because let me remind you that the psalmist said in Psalm 45 that your tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Amen? So what you're speaking is being scripted in your life. What you're speaking out today is being scripted. I can't. I'm dysfunctional. I came. I grew up that way. I'm in an alcoholic family, and I will turn out like, it's, it's, it's the reason why I do the things I do and write this. See, see, that's what, the, that's, what, that's what the psalmist is saying. Listen, what you're saying is being scripted. And there's a lot of people that are living off the old script of their life because they keep talking about the same thing over and over again, and it's time to give up the excuses and leave the old script behind and start picking up a new script of power, declaring that you are powerful through Christ, that there are words of ownership in you, that there are words of confidence that come from you, and there's words of trust to others. To all of you who are married today, that's me. Let me tell you something that happens when you are uh, an excuse maker is that you pull back from giving 100%. Right? One of the things that single people do is they get in this mindset that they're just not complete yet. All you young people here, this is just a word of advice. I'm sure you've heard this before. But I'm not really complete and I'm not really whole without somebody. It can be kind of scary because in their world... um, and probably we've all been there, you become like a stalker. You know, it kind of gets weird, you know. I'm looking for the other half. I'm looking for my other half. I mean, have you seen my other half? Because I'm looking for my other half because I am not whole and I am not complete and I'm looking for them and they do it in the name of spirituality, you know, my other half, my soulmate, right? Uh, Then I will be a whole person when I get my other half. Understand that that's just not the way it works in marriage. Like hopefully before you get married, you will be whole right? It can be kind of scary, we know, but really as you're trusting God, hopefully you're not half a person. There isn't anyone here that, that really wants to marry half a person, right? But that you and I are called to wholeness, like complete in Christ. That's part of Christ's guarantee to us. He makes us whole and complete in him. Then in marriage, it's 100-100. It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. All it takes to mess up a good marriage is for one person to stop giving 100%. Like being cautious. That's what I'm saying. Like being calculated. You want to mess that up? Just be cautious and calculate it. Keep score in your relationships. It's the greatest way to mess them up. You didn't make me dinner yesterday, so baby, you're not getting coffee tomorrow morning. 
I'm not bringing it. Right? When you start playing the victim or shifting the blame or, or making excuses, what you actually will do is pull away from being 100% all in. That will undermine your relationship with your spouse. You have to quit pulling back. People do this all the time. They pull back. You can't control what anybody else does, but don't pull back. Don't play the victim. There are those who are living with someone that's pulling back. They're living with 50%, somebody that's just only 50%, and you're trying to be 150%. You can't do that. Neither can I. All you and I have got is 100 we got 100 to give in there. And so, so many people are trying to make up the other portion or whatever the percentage is. And, and, and a great marriage comes when two people are all in, all in ownership. No victim, no blame, no excuses. So if you pull back because you're mad at somebody else, you have to understand that in your relationship, in your marriage, the word of the Lord to us is don't go to bed angry. Don't let the sun go down, right, on that. And give an opportunity for the enemy. Blaming, blaming is, is very, it's very common. It's not my fault. I didn't pl- pass the class. The teacher was horrible. How many have ever heard that before? I must have been a teacher or something. I don't know. It's not, it's not my fault. The blaming husband, the blaming wife. But when you and I take ownership, the outcome is different. If people don't take ownership... The blame shifts quickly on mom or dad or our students, our kids. Not my problem. (laughs) I mean, it's not my life. No. When you do that, what happens is you, you see that you will always underestimate what it looks like for you to give your best to another person, right, and the opportunities that God has for you. You always give yourself a hall pass. But successful people own their lives. And their pride of ownership doesn't just stop with personal property. They think like owners. Now, you and I know we're to think like owners, but you and I are called on this earth that God says you're stewards, right? Act like owners, but you and I are stewards. Very important to know that. We're just stewarding what God has given to us while he has us here upon this earth, however many years we live. And we're just stewarding what God's given to us. And in that, though, we have this ownership mentality, though, that you realize it's, you know, it's not just my house with that address on it, but it's my neighborhood now, and I want to take care of this neighborhood and not be crazy in that because all of us here probably have a crazy neighbor uh, story, right? And, and I've got one too, and, and it's not my current neighbor, but my previous. i got a crazy neighbor, uh, but, I, but I'm not going to, maybe I should, no, I'm not going to tell you that story because I'm not going to shift the blame, okay? I'm not going to tell you that story. Maybe you're, the, you're like, we don't have any crazy neighbors. Maybe you're the crazy neighbor. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. It might be you. It might be you. So That you realize, hey, this is my neighborhood, and if you're going to come in here and try to vandalize cars or whatever, I'm going to stand in our neighborhood of our cars or our houses. You're going to do crazy stuff and break stuff up or throw rocks at something that, that is valuable, and we're, we're not going to allow that here because, you know, this is our neighborhood, and we're watching out for each other. See, that's ownership. That's stewarding what God has given to you. See, that's a, that's a greater whole, because so many people just live, you know, no, it's just my house here, just leave me alone. No, this is about the whole neighborhood now. Then, then how many of you know that in this place is don't come messing up my neighborhood? And then there's some of you, you need to understand this, is that it's my sisterhood. 
from our sisters in the house. See, because we got sisters. That's, that's our women's ministry here. Some of you are like, that's our sisterhood. And so don't come in and mess up the sisterhood. We love you, but we're not going to let you come in and mess up our sisterhood. And then we got our, we got our men's ministry, our, our brotherhood. So don't come in and mess up the brotherhood, all right? And don't come in and mess up the student ministry hood and the youth, adult, young adulthood and the childhood and whatever it may be. Don't come in here and try to mess it up. We love you and we know you're unhealthy or have dysfunction, but we love you through this. But don't come in here and try to mess that up. This is not just my job. I'm going to treat everybody like they're the owner. They take ownership. That makes a huge difference in the outcome of their life. Because if you don't take ownership, here's what happens. And this is, a, this is huge to every single one of us as we're bringing this down. I want you to get this and understand this. Here's what happens when you and I don't take ownership in our world. Here it is. Scripture already lays it out. If you don't take ownership for things in your life, the Bible calls sowing sparingly in your relationships and in your job and in your world. See, when you don't take ownership, you sow sparingly. Biblical dynamic. Can't be changed, forever settled in heaven. You and I can't change that. We look at people who have big returns on their life, and we look at ourselves, and we look at our returns sometimes, and we say, well, I don't measure up to their returns. How could that even happen? It probably goes back to something like this. People who sow big reap big. People who invest big have a great harvest. People who calculate, they sow sparingly. If you're just going to live your life calculated, keeping score, you are not living God's best for you. You are living sparingly. There are two basic kinds of people that I see that have come in and out of the doors of this church on any given week. I'm sure you have as well. But as you see them, there's two, there's really, it comes down to, it really does boil down to two different types of people that we see. The first is, wow, I love this church. This is the place for me um, where I can serve. God brought me here. I'm going to get involved. I want to do what God's called me. I'm going to give. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to give what God's called me. I want my kids to grow up here. I want them to be students. I want them to become a fully developed follower of Christ, and I want them to grow up in the house of God. We are all in, and we are invested. That's the first type. The second is, well, there's this other type of person. We kind of measure it out, and they are calculated about it. You know, I really don't want to commit myself in the non-committal world we live in. I, I don't want to commit myself. You calculated how you measure it, and I, I will be there when I can be there. You know, there's other things in my world that are a whole lot more important than church or whatever it may be, but, you know, I, that's just kind of where I'm going to keep things and other things. What I want to say is this. It's an amazing difference in the outcome in these two different mindsets, and I see it all the time. Will you be guarded, measured, calculated, versus those who live fully invested. Pastor John, you don't understand my world. I, you know, I only have so much. You don't understand where I live. You don't understand what I do and all the things I'm responsible for and all of that. And, and so I have people, I've had this, you know, I got my slice. They, they look at life as a pie. I got my slice at work and I got my slice at home, and I've got my slice in my recreational world, and I got my slice here at the church, and and and, and I've got my slices, and it's it's like a pie. Life is not like a pie. I just want to tell people when they're talking to me about slices, shut up because I'm hungry for pie. <laughs> Making me hungry for pie. I like pie. 
The Western mindset is broken into a pie versus the original mindset of the bi- uh, biblical mindset of the believers, New Testament believers. It, it, pies? No, we don't break things up that way. We break it up as this. We're a whole person. I'm whole. I'm complete in Christ Jesus. So it's not looking at your life as a pie. It's looking at it as a river, an abundant river that is constantly flowing to other people, other circumstances, and situations in my life. You don't think God understands you? He knows how long you've been stretched out by that situation today. He knows how long you've been camped out. See, when you go home, you give your kids all. You, when you go to work, you give your work all. You give, when you come to church, you give all, right? That, that's, I don't know anything different. I'm not saying I'm perfect and have arrived. I don't know anything different than that, though, as I look at God's word, okay? And, and sometimes it is a struggle. Dividing it all out rather than just saying, no, no, my life will not be this way because God's called me to live an abundant life, Right? Out of the innermost part of your being, out of your belly shall shall flow what? Rivers of living water. I don't know anything different, do you? John 10.10. Rivers of living water will come out of you rather than parsing up your life and figuring out what you will and will not give to God today. God says, I want you to look at your life as abundance. There's a flow. Don't damn the flow. Do it with all of your heart. Work Unto the Lord as you, you, you do with all of your heart, he says. Do it, do, it, do it fully. Live full on, unguarded and complete. Whatever you do, do it to the Lord. So, listen, life is a gift from God, and what you do with it is a gift back to him. So be reminded of that. Let's take full ownership of our lives, okay? It looks impossible to do, and this really is impossible to really think of unless we're on the receiving end. And let me tell you something. Every person in here is on the receiving end of something amazing. And that is what God has done for us in his son, Christ Jesus, that I can speak today from me, for John Miller, that listen, God's given me way more than I deserve. And you're the only one that can speak that over your life, that God's given you way more than you deserve. So what will you do with this one and only life? Let's pray.